0: Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. On this week's episode, we welcome Chris McChesney, who is the author of the Four Disciplines of Execution book. And uh, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably know my story, but one of the reasons I came to Franklin Covey was because I had read this book probably 10, 12, 13 years ago, maybe now. Um, And it showed me what was possible in terms of executing a strategy within a larger organization, particularly a school district or a school. And so to me, this is a person I've wanted to have on a podcast since we started the podcast. And today we dive into the origin of the four disciplines of execution, like the real origin story, which was interesting, the evolution of them. And then we dive into how can we best implement this within a school or a district um, or even just an organization? So. Uh, if you know this podcast is primarily for educators and education leaders but even if you're not one this is a great episode to listen to chris uh if you've never heard him before has so much energy it's contagious and so it's just fun to be around him uh we we spend a little time towards the end around the execution traps and so stuff that we've all fallen prey to and so that's interesting to dive into and he has some really good uh one-liners that i think are just good quotes to have in the back of your mind as you're going into the summer planning for next year. This is an awesome conversation. I'm thankful that you all chose to listen to this. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And again, if you haven't subscribed before, please subscribe if you have, thank you so much. Um, And if you think, you know, one of the things that I always appreciate is when my friends or my wife uh, hear a podcast or hear somebody that's really inspired them, and they share it with me. So this is something that uh, you think would be good to share with others. Please share it. Just send the text episode or text the episode out to the people you think would benefit the most from uh, Chris's wisdom today. So as always, thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Enjoy this episode. So Chris, uh, thank you so much for making time to be here today. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks, Dustin. This is fun. I appreciate this. Yeah. So as you know, our first question we ask every guest is, who are you and what do you love about what you do?
1: Oh, man. And, and I knew you were going to ask me this, too. Who am I? Um, I am a very fortunate human being, is, is what I am. On the professional side, I started following Stephen Covey 30 years ago. Um, it's a crazy story how I sort of stowed away. They didn't even know they hired me. They hadn't hired me. I had just sort of gotten on as a fake intern, pretending I was a newspaper reporter. It's the only way I could get an interview. And I, I fell in love with this, this notion that Stephen Covey had about the application of principles as opposed to best practices. And I felt like it had an impact on me. And, and I think now, you know, 30 years, 32 years later, I have seven children and that original methodology that I'd fallen in love with had had a, had a huge impact on me and my family. And yeah, I'm grateful for the ride.
0: That's awesome. Do you're, so seven kids? Uh, anybody? I've I've got a chance to be around you quite a bit uh, at different engagements, and so your energy level is unmatched, which I really appreciate. How does <laughs> how does that work in a family setting? Do you? Uh, I was listening to an interview with uh, a sports a uh, TV show host that I like to listen to every now and then Stephen A. Smith. Oh, I, pod- I do. I listen to him all the time too. <laughs> That's funny. So he was talking on a podcast the other day about how uh, intense he is on screen. He's passionate. He's always passionate. But when he's home with his family, he's still passionate. You just don't feel it that way. Is that similar to your vibe or are your, your kids like, dad, please, I wish
1: I could you know. say that because sometimes they have to just be like, dad, <laughs> dad, you sound like you're fighting. <laughs> just take it down you're at a 10 i need you yeah. like actually actually i have this my, my facebook profile picture i'm holding i have one grandson and i'm holding up my grandson and he's like looking right at me he's really cute but he's covering my mouth with his hands
0: and the <laughs> caption is grandpa you talk too much that's all right you've done a pretty good <laughs> so gonna, I,
1: I should i should follow Stephen a's example on that one
0: no, I, I think that's one of the things that I appreciate is that uh, you share your heart. You speak what's on your mind, you share your heart. And so Thanks. with that, as I, I kind of shared with you before, I, um, you didn't know this until I told you probably five minutes ago, but um, right. I've been at Coffee for 10 years. And the, the piece of work that we've done as an organization that convinced me this is the right place to be for all the other, like I love seven habits, I love all of our content, but four disciplines of execution was what, put me over the hump yes. here and it's been just awesome uh <laughs> seeing its impact and so I love hearing that i mean i like here i like
1: hearing that that people have utilized it and it's benefited them but but uh for that to be the uh the impetus for your career change that's awesome
0: yeah well it definitely benefited uh the districts that i was working with and i've my wife is the chief of staff of her district and she's seeing have great impact as well so my question is can you give us just a little taste of the origin story uh, oh, yeah, I'd love to. this Disciplines of Execution came about. So,
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting kind of convergence of events. Um, we had a really unique consultant working for us uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, by the name of Jim Stewart. And Jim was this, I got to just say it the way it is. He was a really ornery character, right? We are Franklin <laughs> Company. We have a brand around having really nice people. Yes. Jim Stewart. Despite it, it did not fit that protocol at all. He'd come out of the oil industry and he was a he was a Conoco, um, uh, quality guy and he'd studied Deming and he'd studied Duran. And I had been, I was very enamored with the work that he was doing on, on organizational design. And I'd really started to fall in love with the application of Covey's principles applied organizationally. Well, Jim was the was out in front. He was a the real leader of this, and he was at he was working at the Norfolk Naval Shipyard. And the the CO, the commanding officer of the the shipyard called Jim in and said, Jim, I'm not interested in any of the work we're hiring you to do right now. This is the first time he'd met the CO. He said, let me tell you how you can stay here and keep from being fired. Get my goals to the deck plate in the next two months. I have these critical goals. I'm not getting any traction. And so it forced Jim to really think about, okay, how do you drive strategy? Now, this conversation's going on with Jim's biggest client. At the same time, Bob Whitman had become, our CEO, Bob Whitman, had become friends with Ram Sharan, the uh, the author of What the CEO Wants You to Know. He had just written the book Execution. It was the first book that had been written on execution. And he had, was advising Bob and, and he asked Bob two questions. His first question was, uh, and, and it was actually Bob and I think some of the members of the executive team. He said, Bob, what do leaders struggle with? He said, you're Franklin Covey. Your whole business is developing leaders. Do leaders struggle more with strategy or do they struggle more with execution? And they said, well, they struggle more with execution. And then he said, well, second question, what do we educate leaders in? Do we educate leaders in in? Uh, execution or do we educate them in strategy and business planning? And so it was such an epiphany. It was such a sort of a shock. This is, this is about 2000. This is going on. So Jim's having this experience and Bob's having this experience. They start talking and this starts to culminate in this, in, in this work, in this idea. At the same time, Mark Josie and I were in the Southeast and we had read Jim Collins' work um, on good to great and a hedgehog idea and a hedgehog concept. And Mark kept pushing me on this. And the idea that emerged in our minds was strategies that require a change in human behavior. We have a unique set of tools and principles. So anyway, so there was all these sort of things that were sort of coming together. And Mark and I decided that we liked this early, it was sort of in its embryonic stage. We liked this execution stuff, a little like you, Dustin, right? You, you, you were drawn to it. Uh right? They say, you know what? There's a great quote. It's better to fall in love with a problem than to fall in love with a solution. You fall in love with a solution, you're instantly limited, right? You fall in love with a problem, you'll continue to innovate and work it and work it. And I didn't know that quote at the time, but we had sort of fallen in love with this problem of strategies that require change in human behavior. And so we called Jim he was living in the West Coast and we, we had to, we said, he's too ornery to have a family. We, probably, we didn't know that for sure. But we, were, we were pretty sure. He probably doesn't have a lot of strings. Like, and in one phone call, we got him to move back to Atlanta. And we said, we'll get you all the work you can handle. And so for five years, I was basically just trying to understand what this brilliant savant consultant Understood, And there was, a, there was a lot of research that was going on. But for my part, I was trying to codify subconscious competence. Yep. You've ever been around somebody that's really gifted? And I would watch him every day work with these executive teams. And, I, and they'd be my clients. I'd try and say something. he tell me to shut up. And I would. <laughs> and one day I sat down with Jim and I mapped out, Jim, here's what you do. When it's a functionally diverse organization, this is how you deconstruct goals. And when it's, when it's a multi-unit operation, this is how you do it. And this is what you do here. And th- these are your characteristics for a lead measure. And he said, he said to me, this is a career highlight. He said, this is the first time that I've seen anything that makes me believe in the notion of subconscious competency. Mm-hmm because you're absolutely right. This is exactly how I do it. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And so, so we were experimenting. Part of it was learning with the clients. I mean, the research, to be honest with you, was a very small part. Part of it was learning from the, from the accounts and watching these very senior leaders apply these principles. The other part was just watching Jim. And then this hypothesis sort of boiled out of about three or four years of work that came went on to become the four disciplines of execution. Sean Covey had a huge role in this, by the way. Sean was the one that cracked the code. Sean and Jim worked very closely together. And Sean was really great at sort of encapsulating it. He got the, the fourth discipline, um, created cadence of accountability. It's completely Sean's work. So anyways, there was a lot of input, but it, it really was, I heard a great expression that uh, any answer to a complex problem, is always the byproduct of trial and error, mm. and this was no exception. So that's—I don't know if that's more than you wanted, but, but that's how this thing—that's how this thing got off the ground. You know, and nobody I, knows this. Like this, you're the first person to ever asked me this question. <laughs> nobody knows it from my point of view. So, like, somebody else might have given you a totally different answer, but that's my point of view, Dustin.
0: No, actually, i i haven't asked it just because. Um you know, I've, I've had a couple of folks talk about four disciplines on here, but I was curious from, from the get go, from the jump. And I think, yeah, one of the things I remember early on, I've, I've read your book four times and I would say each time it takes a little less time because I have all the highlighters. I love that. And, uh, is it all marked up? It is. It is. Uh, The pages are kind (laughs) of, Oh, it is. It is. Um, and so I, and that's because I wanted to put it to use before I ever got here. But the, the thing, you know, it's hard sometimes to get folks to just trust you to, to read a book, but there was a two-minute video, maybe a four-minute video that you used to do that you went through the quick cadence of like the, the four disciplines, and I loved it. But the one thing I always loved that uh, you said was, says easy, does hard, right? Yeah. And that's probably a, a, an understatement for, for saying easy, does hard. I'm curious what, you know, in the last... Fourteen years, I guess, maybe longer. Uh, shorter. I don't know the terms of when it actually came out. Maybe twelve years. But uh, what? How has it evolved? What? what have yeah. you? What have been the biggest learnings. Oh, right on. Years, decade. Um.
1: All right. So there's a couple of things that were just huge. One of them. One of them was the whirlwind. And people are shocked when they learn that we were at this for three years. Before we put our finger on the whirlwind and this idea of urgency addiction, because if you go back into the Seven Habits stuff, um, it's all in there. Like Covey talks and and Roger Merrill, they talked all about um, you know the Eisenhower diagram and the and the difference between importance and urgent and the PPC balance and and you know it's all in there. But we weren't thinking that way, and it wasn't until Jim Hewling had, was talking one day and he was talking about how how people in an organization hear strategy, what they actually hear and, um, and, and their, their struggles in their world and what's going on. And the more we start talking about it, we said, realize this is a force. Like it, it was like a fish discovering water. Like it'd been there always. And then the more we started talking about it, everybody resonated with it. And it was, there was this thing. So that was one. So one of the, one of the early, ideas was it's not about executing a goal. It's about executing a goal in the face of this other force, which is the energy required to maintain the operation. Can you execute in the face of the 100 mile an hour whirlwind? So that was one big key pivot point that started to inform what we were doing. The other one was this, we made a conscious choice that the disciplines would not be an overarching operating system. In other words, this is not, the four disciplines are not the tools you use to run the overarching system. Like you don't wrap it around the whirlwind. You don't wrap it around a lot of things that you can do with the stroke of a pen. That, that the four disciplines was an acute treatment mm. and that you aim it at the breakthrough. You aim it at your strategic bottleneck. And that um, was, was huge. Um, matter of fact, if you look at four disciplines and compare it, to other execution methodologies. This is the fundamental difference. The reason why there aren't 75 books on execution, like there are 75 books on strategy, yeah. <laughs> because it unravels on people. Like even when you try and get into like the Rockefeller habits, like they, they try and create one system to wrap around the full body of work. And that's yeah. not how we defined it. I think the most important thing we did was to, was to really look at the disciplines as a way to create Dispropor- or the rate of focus, disproportionate energy on a key priority. I would say whirlwind. and that were two of the biggest ones. The evolution of lead measures was huge. Moving the scoreboards online was huge. And then this constant trial and error, iteration, variation, in natural selection of clients informing us: Hey, the, the wigs don't have to be all on an annual basis. No. And you know, this is how you engage the front line with a with a wig huddle instead of a wig session. And so this body of work really came from this living laboratory of 4,000 at-bats.
0: Yeah. How do you help people? One of the things that I've discovered, like just working with educators who have, you know, tried to to enter your world, um, I find that uh, a couple of things are challenging is that uh, when they just try to choose their wigs or their lag measures, it's they want to choose like five things. Right, they want to choose ten things. Yeah, 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 yeah. it goes, it gets even harder. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking a probably a complex. Uh, I'm teeing you up because it's a complex. Yeah, yeah, I
1: love this. This is where so it like, starts.
0: So when we're, if you know, if you were a superintendent I was working with, you know, like God, you know, feeling a lot of pressure over here. We've got to have this academic goal. Then I'm feeling a lot of pressure over here for my facilities. We've got to have this facilities goal. And so you're, you're getting all of these. So that's one. How do you narrow it down? And two the lead measures you know, are so hard depending on where you're at and depending on the levels that you have within an organization. So I'm just curious. I don't need you to solve that. Yeah, you problem. want to know what's
1: interesting about what you just said? You just threw two questions at me. There's one answer to both questions. Hmm. At hmm. least both questions are related around the, what I consider to be the biggest mistake in the application of four disciplines. And it's also the biggest difference you'll see in the first and second edition of the book. So, between the first and the second edition of the book, there were some common areas where leaders struggle, and you just explained them. Now, we, we were so close to the methodology, we knew what we meant, but sometimes what you mean isn't what you say. Yep. And we were much more deliberate about it in the second edition. First of all, when we call it a wildly important goal, we'd rename it if we could. Mm-hmm. We know people like the, name, the notion of the wig because it's easy to remember, but yeah. it makes people go macro That's not what we want. We're not looking at macro, giant, strategic objectives. Matter of fact, the way we have you think about this is to if you think about your macro objectives, like the title of a book, Yep. right? Recognize that that book's made up of a whole bunch of different chapters. Now, this has been a helpful way for people to look at. So we, you know, we have them, you know, look at some, some, some inordinately large, maybe my rating as, as a school district. Um, I'm, I'm really worried about our rating inside the state. Yep. And that's this macro objective. And you said, Chris, what's your wildly important goal? I'm going to go there. And the truth is, that's, that's the title of the book. But one of the things we had to do is we had to give people a place to put some of these chapters. Mm-hmm. So some of these chapters that, that you got to get right you can address with a stroke of the pen. We're gonna reallocate funds. We're gonna move resources. We're gonna discontinue this service. We're gonna outsource this program. On the other end, there's certain things that are pretty stable. They're not optimal, but they're pretty stable. When we leave those, and they're gonna require most of the energy operation, and we leave those in the whirlwind. So we get most of the chapters to go either towards the whirlwind or towards things I can do with leadership, authority, and money. Yep. And then we get a smaller subset. Is this working for you, Dustin? Absolutely. Right? And, th- and then you get a smaller subset of things that you say, okay, this is the breakthrough, yep. right? Which, which one? And, and the, way we, the way we describe this to leaders is we say, recognize that you can only steal about 20% of the energy used in your organization from the whirlwind. The whirlwind's going to eat up 80%. And that 20% you can steal from the whirlwind. Is like a currency. And do you want to spend all that currency on one objective, or do you want to split that currency? Maybe part of your is working on this and part of the organization is working on that. But they when they start to think of it that way, it really gets them to, but you gotta give them a
0: place to put the other stuff. Yeah. And you got them to get them to come out. Is that is this helpful so far? It's really helpful because I, I remember the first time again, this is first edition. I've obviously read the latest edition and I've worked with districts since then, but uh, just thinking through how we tried to overlay it over everything was really, really tough. Like once you got down to like, how do we implement and execute and keep everybody engaged? Yes. Yes. And then once you've got this target issue,
1: you've reduced the complexity so much. Absolutely. Right. there's a whole bunch of stuff living in the, in the whirlwind, vital signs and day job and life support, however you want to call it. There's a whole bunch of stuff living in the stroke of the pen world. And then you've zeroed in on maybe just a couple of key breakthroughs for the district. Yep. Then what you do is you translate those down. The next step is you've got to get those targets down to the front level where work is done. So you have to deconstruct, not a jump to lead measures, You have Mm. to break the lags down as small as you can. This was another misconception from the first edition of the book. Mm. If you don't, then what you have is you have an objective that's too high, and there is nothing, there is there are no single activities that are both predictive and influenceable. So you've got to break it down to the to the functional team levels. Maybe maybe half your, your, your teams and, and you know, groups are aimed at one of those wildly important goals, and the other half are aimed at the other. They all have their individual wildly important goals. But here's what you realize: The lead measure exercise gets much easier when you have, first of all, narrowed the focus, yep. strategically, and then translated those targets down. Yep. Now if I'm OK, what are we moving on? We are moving on increasing third-grade reading, reading it or yeah reading course. levels right and we want to move it from here to here okay what are the two okay it's 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 x number of interventions with with yeah struggling you know students that are struggling it's x number of hours of reading a day and now i can see that i can see that indicator move because yep. i've got i've taken it down to an actionable level well, to your point,
0: that one of the things that I really appreciate, but it's it's hard to break through sometimes in education is that um, let's say again to your point, take your um, example, improve third grade reading is massively important all across the country, and yeah, we let's say we have weekly assessments or you know monthly assessments, and so it's still lagging. We're not focusing on the leading things that we can influence every day. Yep, so when you have right run right. into organizations that have still struggled with that. Cause I've met with them and I was like, you know, they'll say, Oh, well, we've got these assessments. So we know I'm like, no, 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 no. It's the things you're doing. Right. I love your weight loss. Like your first weight loss example that you gave, yeah. of, uh, how do we get there? And so how do you help people break through that understanding of like, okay, you're close to a lead, but you're not a lead. I like the visual analogy of a lever being the,
1: used to push a rock. Right. And discipline one, you're trying to get the rock down to the smallest sizes possible because it starts as this immovable, gigantic boulder. That's how it feels in these people's lives. So we narrow the focus, we get it down to where each team, in addition to their day job, has one of these sort of, you know, <laughs> smaller than a boulder, yep. rocks. And that that exercise alone takes a lot of work. Exactly. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? By when? At yep. de- and if you can't translate it down to the team level, if you not plan, I'm not talking about planning. This is really key. What tends to happen Dustin, it, is there's these high level objectives, right? That are influenced by numerous groups and they have a body of metrics. And then they- this high level objective has a plan around it. And so at very senior levels, we start dictating plans down into the organization right that's not what we're saying at all what we're saying is take the key focal point and break down a target not a plan plan is just instructions yep. and then when you've got the targets down at the most actionable levels getting people to think in terms of this lever and saying okay a lever has two characteristics i can't move the rock the rock's too heavy to move and so i'm using leverage yep a lever i can directly influence If I can't move the lever, it's not a good lever. And if the lever doesn't move the rock, it's not a good lever. Let's get a rock that is movable with a lever and let's get a lever. And it's just that simple, right? Because some ideas sound really good, but they're not influenceable. I can't get that to happen. I can't get parents to read two hours a night with the kids. Not a movable lever. Yeah, if we did, it would move the rock. Right. right. And you know, signing up for this book fair and you know, having Kermit the Frog come in and tell us how great reading is is really controllable, but it's but the lever's just bending. We're not moving the rock at all. <laughs> like we gotta find something that is both influenceable and predictive. And and here's the great thing about this, Dustin. Once you it's a puzzle, once you get people into that problem-solving puzzle mode, yep. you got them, they're engaged. And what we say is, don't dictate what those lead measures are to the teams that are acting on the lead measures. Give them choices and then let them decide. The great quality guru, Edwards Deming, said that the people that understand cause and effect relationships the best are the people that are closest to the work.
0: Yeah. Have you ever read the book? Uh, It's called Nudge. It was written by some. uh, University of Chicago of MBA economist back in probably 2008. You're probably captivated with writing your own book around that time. So uh, it was about like the um, choices, right? So one of the things they find, let, let's say if you work for a big organization and you're trying to get more people to sign up for the healthcare uh, benefits or whatever, if you give them endless amount of choices, you drive inaction. Yeah. If you give them one choice, you drive inaction or frustration. If you give them three, right? It's a magical three or yeah. two. Choices, you then have engagement, excitement, and they feel like they have choice, right? So you're you're and so I was curious when you were saying come with them with choices, do you have a, a recommendation for the number of choices if you're a senior level person coming down that you would give?
1: You know, it's very interesting. You know, when you first said nudge, I, you really got my attention because one of, the, one of the observations we've had is the power of small wins. Mm. Like the value of not trying to eat the whole elephant, yeah. but winning at what you pick and, and helping the organization recognize we can pick targets and we can move them. In terms of the choice thing, we have absolutely seen what you just say. And so a lot of times, you know, we're looking for two good lead indicators usually as a rule of thumb. Sometimes we'll use three, but that gets hard to track and we'll, you know, and we'll, we'll typically give them a half a dozen choices or like to, a lot of times you don't, you can't come up with half a dozen. We have different brainstorming exercises that we use, but, but yeah, we want to keep, we want to keep the options down to sort of a finite number and that, by the way, what also helps that is getting real specificity around the lag measure, right. not trying to tackle the whole thing. That's what overwhelms people. I, a lot of the problems with discipline, too, are that they didn't do discipline one right. Matter of fact, most of them
0: are. I think, so this, this question, so I've asked some folks to send me some questions as we're talking if they could. Oh, right on. In. And so one of the questions, um, I believe I know the answer, because just like when Leader and Me started, there's a lot of folks who read the book and are like, let's just do it as opposed to like partner with us. And so I think I know the answer here, but I'm curious what you'd say. So this is a senior level person at a district who is going after, I'm going to make it up, going after the goal of increased attendance throughout their entire district, right? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Uh, They have district level folks under them. They have uh, school level folks under them who yep. then have department folks under them, yep. who then have teachers. Right. Oh yeah. And so one of the challenges is how do you, you know, how, how's that person manage multiple departments and schools and drive a cadence of accountability within that to know how the different levels are doing on a weekly basis? <sighs> so two answers. There, there, there's, there's a lot in that question you just asked. Well, it's like a CEO, they want to know if they're winning or losing or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, yeah,
1: you know, one of the tools that we have, this XPS indicator that goes along with the app is really great. Like if you've got people on four disciplines and they're using the app, you can see right away, like it gives you a six week running score. You don't even have to collect the data. The data is just there. And you know, it's funny because they got great data on the day job, but the new strategic push that's the one that's always hard for them to see other than the lag measure, right? And so being able to see, okay, these, the, the, this team is meeting every week. This team is making and keeping commitments. This team is actually moving their lead indicator. And this team is actually getting traction on their lag indicator. Like that, you know, boiled down to one metric is a really nice way. Marriott was the best at this. Marriott Wegmans Grocery. Um, there's been some, some colleges. I'm sure in your world, you have some stars ex, as well. Yep. But let me say this too, um, that's how you know once you've got it installed. I'm a big believer in installing in pockets of an organization where you can really get it stood up right yep. and give, this, give the senior leaders a chance to really see what it looks like when it works. Get behind some frontline leaders that are good. Yep. And I'm much more interested in quality than quantity on the front end. Yep. And and, when, when, and then to have some success stories, Like there are ways that you influence a culture. And mass rollouts aren't real high
0: on the list. I agree with you. I think one of the, one of the things I really appreciate about your strategy early on this is probably my first or second week on the job. I, I, you know, I live in St. Louis. Um, where we have a real baseball team. I know you're down in Atlanta. You guys are coming <laughs> off. Of uh, we have a tradition of excellence, but uh, we'll keep that moving for some other time. Uh, I, the thing that I appreciated was two weeks in, I went to, um, I don't know, it was uh, just up the road. At, uh, it was a, where you had a bunch of CEOs and business folks in the room and you did about a half day or a couple hour overview of four disciplines. And what I liked is the same way I approach, I took that and approached leader and me work the same way was, here's what it is. Go try it. I mean, I I believe you will need to work with us and you will want to work with us because you'll get the results times a thousand of what you could get, but go try. And so I'm curious when what you've learned over the last decade with a lot of folks who read the book and try to implement, what, what has been the realization when they've partnered with your team on the difference from trying to do it on their own to uh, bringing your folks in to really help them set up a quality implementation?
1: Yeah. So this is a, this is a great question. Cause a lot of times people, like you said, people are looking at the methodology and they're like, yeah, I would love it if our organization did this. Like, how do I even start? Where do I go? Well, the first thing I always do is I, I identify a section of the organization that has some degree of autonomous leadership right? So what I need is I need a team. I need a leadership team and small is okay. Right. You know, um, but, but where have I got a leader? Right. Maybe. So maybe it's, it's, you know, just at the, right. The immediate district level, or maybe it's up a level from there, but, but where do I have a leadership? Once I've identified a leadership team where there's interest. And normally what that means is two things. One, they got an H to scratch. They yep. got a problem. They got to move a number. Yep. I, don't, I don't like working with leaders that are political in nature or are not really committed to serious results. Yep. Right? So you got to have somebody with an itch to scratch, number one. And then, um, and then they've got some interest in this methodology, right? So as long as I got those two things, then I got three questions for that leadership team. And it's a question for that person's whole team. Like she might be interested, but, but like, it's gotta be, there's always a team movement that goes, an executive kind of group. And here are the three questions. And, and, and I put this up front. I I say, okay, before you can do anything, you got to clear these three questions. The first question, is this approach right for us? Like, let's just take a, let's just take a couple hours and let's just, dive in and throw all the questions you want. Like, are are you, are you, do you like the approach? Because If you don't like the approach, we're wasting our time. And it's, it's a very, it's a very particular approach. Like it's got built-in accountability. It's based on some disciplines. Like you all got to look at each other and say, right, are we really, are we serious about this? So before we, before we clear that hurdle, I don't want to talk about anything else. I want to talk about how much it's going to cost and how we should do it and hypotheticals. No, We're in or we're out. Okay. So, do we? Question number one: Do we like the approach? Question number two: What are we going to aim this at? Mm. All right. So, we like the approach. We get the approach. We know what it really means. What are we going after? We're going after attendance. Okay. We're going after SAT average. Okay. What what do we? What do we go? What do we get a gun for? Because the answer to that question is then going to inform how you implement it. And the third, and then by the way, just answering that question, it's not like a trite, throw out an answer. It's really basically the better part of a day, looking at, okay, if this was the high level objective, what would the sub objectives be? What would the fewest battles necessary to win the war be? What would it, how would it break down? What would it look like? And so you really are gonna take a day and walk through discipline one before you can answer, are we sure this is what we're gonna aim at? And then question number three, is how much help do i need right do we you know okay so we're only going to go we 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 see the high level objective we're only going to we're only going to launch in these two districts so we're going to launch with these two school systems yep. right and 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 to do that we lay out all of the sort of the implementation lessons that we know and then we let them sort of guide us based on our implementation principles but yep. if we can get if we can get people working in that sort of sequential is it right for us? What are we going to aim it at? And, you know, how much help do we need? We tend to get a very coherent, smart movement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when you, you want to, I listened to your podcast that you had for four disciplines. And so uh, one of the episodes, actually, you turned it into two episodes about the traps and so I don't, I don't need you to turn this into two episodes for us, but I am curious. About, <laughs> right. not, not that I wouldn't want two episodes, but I, I want right. to have a time, but uh, I do like- Oh, I'll do another of, one. I don't care. <laughs> I like the idea of you diving into execution traps, right? So the five ones, uh, I'll let you lay them out, which I could, but I just realized I'm interviewing you. I'm not tell, talking to anybody. So <laughs> you talk about like, what are the five and just do a high level overview of like what you've seen and how people try to tackle those. Okay. So I've done these about eight different ways and I've done them where there's
1: seven traps. I've done them where there's three traps. Give me the, give me the list that you've got that I can go. I can that. wing it, but I don't know if mine will be the same as yours.
0: Urgency, complexity, target,
1: persuasion, futility. All right. Let's take it on first. All right. Urgency, that's that whirlwind idea. Yep. And it's basically as a lead. So let's just apply this to an executive. Let's take all five traps and just apply it to your leadership style. So, we're sort of, folks, we're sort of stepping away from four disciplines as an organizational methodology. And we're just saying, what are my execution traps as a leader? So, urgency trap, here's the, here's, I'm just going to say like two sentences about each one, if that's okay. That's great. The urgency trap basically is, is all about this Do I have the capacity as a leader to put deliberate, disproportionate energy? <clears throat> against an objective that is not on fire. Can I spend energy on non-urgent activity? If you cannot, if you haven't developed the capacity to do, Peter Drucker's like, you know, first work was really about this. The, the effective executive is really about this ability to move beyond the maintenance mode. Yep. So that, that's, you know, if, if you feel like weeks are going by and you're not getting any closer to key priorities, but yet everybody's as busy as they can be, it's the urgency trap. And, and the urgency has sort of an addictive, urgent things have a, almost an addictive nature for us. So that's yeah. the first one. Can I put energy against not urgent? Next one was complexity. Yep. Two best friends of execution are simplicity and transparency. So what we were talking about a few minutes ago, about organizing your strategy through an execution lens is a great way to lower complexity, right? And one of the ways that you know that is if you were to ask people, hey, in addition to your 50 things you have to do every week to keep the miracle running, what's your number one priority as a team? Like if they don't know the answer to that, your strategy is not simple enough. Hmm. You know, can they answer the whirlwind plus one question? In other words, do they know what the one is? Yep. And if you haven't done the work, they they can't. All right. So that's, so 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 we had urgency. We had complexity. The next one was the target. Three was target.
0: That's pretty good. I just gave them out to you and you're running through them. Yes, target is the next one. Okay, so target is,
1: yeah, and I, and I, I, Like I just, I've mixed them up too much. Like you ever drive to somebody's house and you went the wrong way once? I can never get, I can never find their house again. So I shouldn't have ever mixed them up. Okay, so the third one is the target trap. And here's what I'm going to say about that. If your great strategic imperative is conceptual in nature, if it's a concept, if it stays a concept, it's going to die a concept. You've got to move concepts into targets right? We got to move from lead the world in space exploration to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade and return him safely home. And yet concepts are so compelling and you're great at talking about them. And everybody says, yes, they're great. Yes, of course. But it's not just a target, but it's an executable target at the front line. You're, You're not in a position to execute because you're very compelling. Yep. Okay. Uh, fourth, was it per-
0: persuasion? Persuasion. Yep. Persuasion oh. and futility for the last okay. two. Okay.
1: Persuasion trap. This is my Achilles heel personally. The persuasion trap is believing this. It's believing that if they just knew how important it was, they would do
0: it. <laughs> I think that's mine too.
1: <laughs> right. Like if I just say it more <laughs> compelling or louder or slower, or angrier. Like if, they, if they just could get it, they will do it. And Here's the thing. Persuasion has very, very little to do with engagement. Mm. Persuasion has very, very little to do with why human beings engage. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And for leaders who think that's their go-to move, their go-to move is I'm persuasive. That's why I've got this position. That.
0: It, it sounds it's like not, a oh, go ahead, Dustin. Sorry, all right, it sounds like the difference between like a level four and a level five leader. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. yeah. And oh, this, this was out.
1: this is. Not, I'm I'm not being cute when I say I struggle with this. Yeah, like this is. I really I really have to back off and it and and engagement's all about pull. Persuasion's all about push, mm. and. The ability, like when you're dropping strategy down in an organization, you don't help your strategy by selling it to them. You think you do and you don't. You know, the the attributes that really allow you to engage people around a strategy that they weren't really leaning towards. It's all about transparency. It's all about understanding their concerns. And it's all about involvement. It's not about persuasion. right. And then the last one, is it futility? It is. Ta-da! All right, this one's the backbreaker. And the future... Matter of fact, 20 years in this field has been nothing but self-loathing for me. That's all it is. Like Jim Hewling, my partner, he's so good at all of this. And I am so bad at all of this that I, I, I sometimes I think I relate to people because I stink at this stuff. It doesn't come <laughs> natural at all. Yeah. That's, why, that's why I love it, right? Because I like... Matter of fact, the Dallas Morning News... When the, seven, when the Four Disciplines came out, it was a much bigger hit than we thought it would be. And the Dallas Morning News interviewed me about it. And we, had, we went out to dinner, and it was cute. And then afterwards, are, the headline of their article read, because I told them about being a hyperactive kid and having ADHD as a kid. And the, yeah. the headline of the article is, Ritalin kid teaches organizations to focus. <laughs> I'm sure everyone here They're, learned they were very proud of themselves for, that, for yeah. that headline. All right, so the futility trap is what happens when you get ambiguity overload. The ambiguity overload is like carbon monoxide poisoning, right? You just, you're just, you have got so many, ta- like people are talking about a goal and between you and that goal is an impossible number of variables. And I got, I got to do this, but I can't do that because those people don't let you do this. And we don't even have those people on board. And they don't even know what they're talking about when they say do this. And they got no idea what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. And then they retreat. And when they retreat, when they quit, they don't really quit. They just go back to the day job. Yep. Oh, and what's worse is they tell you they're on board. And by the way, burnout, you want to understand burnout? It has very little to do with how hard somebody's working. That's what they'll talk about, the overwork. No, they're not. Burnout, spend some time talking to somebody that's really burned out. And what you'll hear is futility. The work doesn't matter. There's only two things that drive engagement, progress and purpose. This is one of the reasons we feel so strongly about this notion of whirlwind plus one. I I can handle any amount of crazy day-to-day chaos if there's one thing that's meaningful and we're making progress on it.
0: That's powerful. Um, I I so we end every podcast. I could go off for about two more hours, but I promised I would have a, a stop sign at the end of this hour. And so um, we have. A- I like
1: I like the I like I like doing this with you because you've been down the road. You're not like uh, Chris. Tell us what the four disciplines of execution are. Like, oh, I gotta say that one more time. Like, no. I really like that. You're just like you're a user man. Like, hardcore. I
0: love this. I just, I think, you know, one of the things that I I find, I think it's only a matter of time before the uh, superintendents across the country are beating our door down for this type of work, because I think this is what we're all trying to solve. And to your point, I think um, that would you say purpose plus progress, uh, progress, right? So purpose plus progress. Like, I think that's probably what got me so caught up in the four disciplines is that on. I was an athlete my whole life. And so I, I like scoreboards. I want to win. I want to see progress. And so like, I love the purpose of our organization, but it was like, how are we making progress for the other, you know, as we're doing the work for DX, I feel like also it does purpose and progress, which I really appreciate.
1: Yeah. And the one way to say it, and go, going back to the athletic thing, is it has to feel like a winnable game. That's yep. progress. And it has to feel like a high stakes game. Hmm right? So it doesn't have to be some giant social justice, change the world. No, it's just got to matter. Maybe just to those kids or to those families, but it's, it, it's got to mean something. Yep. It, it's got to feel, it, it cannot feel staying with athletics. Sorry. It cannot feel like preseason football. Yeah. <laughs> like you mentioned baseball. I can't stand baseball. Like I, <laughs> I, good. You live in it I like it. to play it's it. it. I, <laughs> I like to play it, but, but I, I, I can't, I can't watch it but I'm a hardcore football fan. So all summer, like right now I'm in drought, basketball's over and I gotta, I gotta sit through your baseball for another couple of months and it's just killing me, right? And then finally there'll be some preseason NFL game on. I'm like, yes, finally. And I five minutes. I'm like, I can't watch this, Yep, <laughs> a low stakes game. Mm. You don't get engagement in a low stakes game. Come playoffs, people are wearing the, the merchandise. Oh, yeah. They don't even know football and they're wearing it. The, like high oh, yeah. stakes and winnable. That's All right. Awesome. So you're going to, you're going to, you're going somewhere. And I, I, no, I, I, so really-
0: I mean, I could talk to you forever just because this is uh this is no joke. I mean, I, I uh, am so thankful of the work that you and your team have done because it's changed the trajectory of my life. And I think, Oh dude, changed the trajectory of a lot of organizations. And like I said, within education, I firmly believe, I've been talking the last several months with different superintendents or different organizations that have been peeking over the fence at this. And your
1: results are fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, no, matter I just-
1: I, It might be, matter of fact, your world might be the best application for this methodology.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't speak for the enterprise side because I've been in education since I graduated college, even though majored in finance. Thought I was going to go work in management consulting and I've been in education for 20 20- Half the people working with me started in education, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, we, we close out before I close out with a similar questions for everybody. Uh, yeah. first question is what's a habit or discipline that you use every day in your life to be the best version of yourself. So whether it's to have the energy you need, the focus you need or whatever. I have some, but, um, can I share a weekly
1: one instead of a daily one? Of course. Share whatever you want. Um, I have to have quality one-on-one time um, with my kids. Mm -hmm. And if I, like, I have like a Rolodex in my mind. And if I have a couple kids together, it it, it goes nowhere. I Mm -hmm. have to be what, like, it can be running errands. It can be getting breakfast. It can be, (laughs) it can be anything. But I, like, for me, there are several of those every week. And whoever is the, the one that's like furthest away, I'm gonna force them to do some one-on-one time with me. And um, I really believe this idea of whirlwind plus one, my wife and I decided that every one of our kids was gonna have a winnable game that meant something. Mm. And once that happened, they have, they have drama. Every teenager has a ton of drama. And we could have cast the Breakfast Club. Like we had the, <laughs> <laughs> we got the hippie, the jock, right? We got the brain and the nerd. Like, and that's just the girls, right? Uh, but as soon as they had one aspect of their life where they were winning and it was kind of a big deal, yep. it completely changed the way they handled the drama. Mm. And so for me, if, I, if I'm doing good on that Rolodex, I feel like, I can handle other negative things maybe that happen in life.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm like you, I'm big. We have only three boys, even though it feels like a world running now. They're all eight, eight, six. What uh, what are the ages? Eight, six, and almost two.
1: Oh, you're right in
0: it, man. (laughs) Everybody keeps telling me that. Oh, uh, dude, that's good stuff right there, man. And boys, oh my gosh. It's a a bit of a frat house, but we love it. Um, So you're talking about like the one-on-one again, they're, the eight-year-old starting to understand that more. The six-year-old, I'm starting to see it. Like, again, we don't probably have the, the depth of conversations that you're blessed to have your, with your kids. But like when I go somewhere with Noah or Luke, you can tell they just, it's different. It means something to them. Then so if
1: they're together, that's right. And, and what so I learned different. was at the worst times during the most challenging child's life, if I just got alone with them, it wasn't 10 minutes and I'm getting everything. It's all coming out. Yep. But if I don't invest, I get, I get jacked. I don't get anything.
0: Nope. Well, it's interesting given that, you know, that's only, let's just take it 10 minutes. That's 30 minutes for me. That's uh, over an hour for you. I don't know how you do it, but uh, I like the fact that that discipline, I'm going to have to incorporate that. So second one is, you know, being an author yourself, I'm curious, either of a book or a couple books that you've read in your life or recently that have really made an impact on you? I am. For the first time, I
1: finished a book and went right to the beginning and started over again. Have you read Atomic Habits? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. (laughs) aptly named James Clear. (laughs) That guy, he has got it going. We do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Mm. That is a, he has created a seminal work. And it's the first time in the field of, of human development, I really feel like somebody's really moved the ball since Seven Habits. And I know there's been a lot of great work that's done, but, but really a game changer, Atomic Habits is a game changer. Oh, and I, 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 may, I may do a third. <laughs> I may go back, I may go back again on that. Here's the other one. If you're a really serious leader, like. And you, you're, you're, you're being given massive responsibilities. Yep. Um, there's a book by Ray Dalio called principles. And wow. If you, I was in that thing for eight months getting through that. It is, it's not an easy read. This is one of the most successful people in the world yep. and it's not an accident. He is, every aspect of organizational leadership he has thought through and ground down to what are the universal principles so that is not that is not light reading folks but it's really good stuff That's i awesome. felt like a, i felt like a kid i felt like a child
0: reading that <laughs> like what <laughs> i have no business talking to people well, the, the next question I have for you, so thank you for those those books. I do agree. I've not read Principles, but I've I've read Atomic Habits and suggested it for my whole team this year. I love um, it. I um, am curious what your answer is here. I, I had Stephen Amar on recently and had no idea what I was about to step into when I asked this question. <laughs> so it's been a fun question. Uh, actually, Amar is I'm awesome.
1: Tired. I owe, uh, I owe m- most of my career he didn't hire me once. That guy hired me twice. I really <laughs> OMR. Well, he's been he's been a huge blessing in my life recently. Amen. Too, so that's I exactly it. That, he is a human blessing. That's what that man is.
0: Yeah, so I, I've i always known it. I just didn't realize what answer I would get out of this question. So I'm just curious. There's no pressure on you to up him here. But uh, when you drive, I, I mean, you live in Atlanta, right? So yeah, that's all you yeah. do is it takes you about three hours to go a mile there. I think. Anywhere, uh, right? And so you drive. Uh, or work out what's on your playlist what kind of music what kind of artists what kind of songs
1: oh yeah um uh who, who do i like like i know all the i i my kids so I, I i got my kids into my music case and now they have just given me <laughs> um oh i don't know the names of all like ra ra riot think? um more on the more on the progress you know what? i'm gonna just i'm gonna try, show you right now i'm just gonna look it up
0: that's amazing. I'll so tell you, as you're doing it... I'll, I'll tell you, I, you who... who I'm, uh, the
1: Kooks. Like, I'm, I'm kind of more on the progressive side. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you some names right now. Here we go. Because, because like, I never see them when they come up. I know who they are, right? But, um... Play, I still like. That was um, Stephen
0: Amar's answer, by the way.
1: Wild Party, Vampire Weekend. Uh, yep. I still got some Paul Simon in there. Um, Bastille is great. Oh, great. Uh, the... Um, uh bleachers, that guy. Um uh he
0: he used to be with somebody else. But anyways, he he's amazing. I love it. Well, uh, so friends of yours, so Stephen Amar, I didn't realize he was such a diehard Coldplay fan. He would go see them oh. the movie multiple times. Oh yeah. That was a new one. And then second, uh Not surprised. Meg Thompson's answer, who's a mutual friend. I love Meg. She's great, she's Plus, brilliant. Uh, I live in Philly and I listen to sports talk radio. <laughs> Those are my two favorite answers so far. So thanks for playing that with us. Um, we've you got one. MR minute.
1: took me and Katherine Nelson to see <laughs> Hamilton in Chicago. I did not know that. And about 600 bucks a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you, ever taken, you ever taken two associates out to the tune of $1,200? Well, Catherine, doesn't she live in Australia? Isn't Yeah, she? yeah, yeah. This is before, this is when she was, she was back for a while. Oh, okay. And the three of us, the three of us were in, uh, were in Chicago together. And he said like, oh, he says, I got a surprise for you. It that just opened awesome. in Chicago. Yeah. It was, it was brilliant. What that a guy!
0: Awesome. Well, last question. So I can let you get back on with your day. Uh, you're around, whether it's social media or just around thought leaders from your travels or just your friends, What's the best piece of leadership advice or change advice you've had for yourself or as a leader that you've come across with that you just can't get out of your head and you want to share with people. And it could be something you've already shared because you've had some great nuggets today, but just something that's been on your heart a lot lately. It's this old it's this, my, it's this old exercise
1: I used to do at Leadership Week. And I don't know if Cubby started this or Blaine Lee, but it was a little exercise and the punchline of the exercise was um, about a tomato plant and what you would have to do to grow this tomato plant. And could you guarantee no matter how much irrigation and soil and everything else, could you guarantee that the tomato plant would grow? And all the leaders would say, no, they, they couldn't guarantee that it would grow. And then Covey would ask, why, why, why can't you guarantee me the growth of that tomato plant? And they said, well, because the life is in the seed and it was really kind of an epiphany moment that you know we don't control the growth of human beings we're gardeners we create the conditions for growth mm. but we can never forget that the life is in the seed we're not managing that it's not a machine it's it's a living growing thing and so i think you know is that leader as is, is the, the 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 expression in my brain is just the life is in the seed that's code for Okay, you're 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 pulling up the flowers to look at the roots again, Chris.
0: Yep. That's a good reminder. Well, Chris, this is by far and away exceeded my wildest expectations. Oh, dude, me too. I really uh, enjoyed this. Dustin. I can't thank you enough for making time for us and I hope we are passing across again really soon. Anytime, anytime. All right. All right. Good, best of Great luck. Day. Thank you for everything. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate fun. you. All
1: right, take care everyone.
0: Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcasts on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful messy work of shaping human potential.